Well, hello and welcome to Faith Life 365. This is episode number 38. My name is Tim Hardison, and this is going to be part three uh, on the series of religion or word of God. Now, if you've missed past episodes, please go back and listen, get caught up with us. You go to www.faithlife365.org and you can find it all right there to get caught up. And uh, let's uh, say a prayer and jump right in here. Father God, we come before you in the name of Jesus. We thank you for your many blessings. Father, open our eyes today that we may see in our ears, that we may hear. Father, we just we just pray that you would transform us, Father, by the renewing of our minds. Give us knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Father, teach us. Teach us through the Spirit to walk in faith, Father, and not to walk after the flesh. In the name of Jesus, amen. All righty. Now, in episode 37, we talked about what it means to become a new creature, a new creation uh, by uh, receiving the nature of God. So does this mean that if, if we've been given the nature of God, we, we're no longer capable of sin? Well, unfortunately, no. That's not the case. It's not, not quite that easy for us. We're still very much capable of sin in the flesh. So how does that work? If I become a Christian by believing in my heart that Jesus died for my sins and that God raised him from the dead, and I confess him with my mouth as Lord and Savior, why am I still able to sin? Well, the simplest answer to that is we still live in a sinful world, and God does not take away our ability to make decisions and choices for ourselves. So, someone say, well, but if someone becomes a Christian and they've been forgiven for their sins and they receive eternal life in Christ Jesus, they're given the nature of God. So, if they can still sin and they do sin, well, do they lose their salvation and have to start over again every time they sin? Hmm. This is a question that many of the estimated 43,000 Christian denominations have debated and have disagreed over for years. Uh, there's two primary stances, and that's once saved, always saved. And if you sin and do not repent of your sin before you die, you will lose your salvation and go to hell. And some say, well, if you, uh, not, it's not that if you sin and don't repent, but it's if you intentionally sin and don't repent. And see, there's, there's uh, different variations of each of these two stances. But primarily, one theology is that once you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you cannot lose your salvation no matter what. And the other theology is that if you sin after you're saved, you lose your salvation and you're condemned to hell. Now, if you die, that is, uh, if you die uh, before you repent for every sin, then there are other theologies they are all in the middle. They believe different variations of the two above. And I've simplified this uh, very much as these arguments can get very deep. Um, so what is the truth? Is it possible that part of what is being taught by some is based on religion and not entirely on the word of God? Many very educated men, women, doctors and scholars, they've debated and argued this for many, many years. But what does the word of God say? 
Is it even possible to understand the truth? I mean, if you ask those on either side of this equation or those in the middle, they will most likely all tell you that what they believe is absolute is truth. Uh, many will give you some very good arguments as to why their theology is right and others are wrong. So how is it possible or is it possible to know who is right? What is the truth? What, what does the word of God say? This is where the renewing of our mind comes in. This is where being transformed by the renewing of our mind uh, in, in Romans 12, 2 comes in. Uh, this is true for any religious or theological position that is, is taken on any biblical issue by any church denomination group or individual minister, pastor, or evangelist. So some are probably asking, are you saying I can't trust my pastor? No, I'm not saying that at all. I am saying that you need to hear the word of God preached and taught, and then you need to follow up by reading the word for yourself, meditating on the word, praying for God to give you revelation, knowledge, and understanding of his word. He sent the Holy Spirit to be your teacher, your helper, your comforter. Your spirit and soul need to be led of the Holy Spirit as to the meaning and the truth of God's word. Uh, Acts chapter 17, verse 11, Amplified. Uh, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they entered the Jewish synagogue. Now, these people were more noble and open-minded than those in Thessalonica. So they received the message of salvation through faith in Christ with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. As a result, many of them became believers together with a number of prominent Greek women and men. Notice the people of Berea are referred to as more noble. They received the word of God from Paul and Silas with great eagerness. However, they examined the scriptures daily to see if what they were being taught was true according to the word of God. They were searching Old Testament scripture to see if the prophecies were in line with what Paul and Silas were teaching as, as the New Testament had not yet been written. But the example we are given by the people of Berea is to examine the scriptures to test if what we're being taught is in accordance with the word of God. See, it's extremely important that when we're reading and studying scripture, we read it within the context which it is given. And it's also important to understand uh, who it was directed to as well. Uh, this is known as uh, hermeneutics. Uh, a simple definition of hermeneutics is the science of interpretation of the Bible and the methods of that interpretation. Um, there are many different approaches to hermeneutics, but a good practical start is to follow these four guidelines. The first is to assume that the Bible says what it means. Imagine that. That is, the Bible is generally to be interpreted literally, taking the plain meaning of the passage over a more complicated, esoteric interpretation, unless it's obviously meant to be symbolic or a figure of speech. Second is to consider the passage in context. What was the historical context? Who wrote it? Who are they writing uh, to, if anyone? Why? What was the cultural context? What was going on at the time? 
Third, it's essential to interpret the passage within the context of the Bible itself. What verses precede and follow the passage? What is the passage as a whole about? What about the book? Is it referencing a different part of Scripture? Fourth but not least, actually the most important, approach your Bible study prayerfully asking God for wisdom and understanding. My point is that it is important for you to trust but verify what you're being taught by reading the Word, meditating on it, and seeking verification through the Holy Spirit. I don't for a second believe that true ministers of God are intentionally trying to lead people wrong. I mean, it's quite the opposite. They're teaching what they believe and what they've been taught to be truth. You might be thinking, well, if they're a minister of God, they should know what they're talking about as they have been called by God and educated in the Word of God. Uh, most have attended seminary and, and are much more knowledgeable in the Word of God than I will ever be. Perhaps. Perhaps. Yet the Pharisees firmly believed that they were truly following the Word of God too. Now Nicodemus, he came very close and perhaps did recognize that Jesus was truly the Messiah. There's good arguments to that. All the signs of the Messiah were clearly written in the scriptures. The same scriptures that these highly respected priests and religious leaders taught and cited daily. Yet they were so blinded by their total dedication to religion and the law that they failed to see that Jesus was fulfilling the prophecies of the word of God right before their eyes. They totally missed the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the one they have been preaching in the synagogues about for thousands of years. You see, they were blinded by the religion. If you look at, let's say, if you take a Baptist minister that attended a Baptist college or seminary, well, they're going to teach one theology as absolute truth while a Pentecostal minister that attended a Pentecostal college or seminary will teach another theology on the same topic as being absolute truth. Throw in all the other denominations and we end up with a lot of different theologies on the same topic and they're all being taught as absolute truths. Can they all be right? Well, I think not. But does that mean that all but the group that is actually right is wrong and they're going to hell? No, absolutely not. Uh, it, it means that some may live in condemnation uh, when there's no need to. They may live in sin consciousness when there's no need to. They may miss out on many gifts or many different things that, that, that God has put before them. But that doesn't mean that they're going to hell because we don't agree or, uh, on the exact theology of one one thing now again uh, Pentecostal may disagree with me over saying somebody that sins and believes in in eternal securities well they're going to go to hell well okay that that's where the different denomination these arguments come into but again that takes us back to what does the word of God say and what does God say and and that's where you have to you have to step in and you have to question and you have to read and you have to study and you let have the Holy Spirit speak into your heart so um, it, it just comes down to 
the bottom line. Some may live in condemnation when there's no need. Others may needlessly live in a state of sin consciousness or perhaps they feel unworthy or, or uh, they're trying to get into heaven by their goodness or their works. You see, again, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God, that he came to earth in the flesh and died for your sins, that God raised him from the dead and, and you confess him as Lord and Savior, you are saved and have been promised eternal life. Until Jesus returns, I'm not sure that it's possible that man will ever come into complete theological agreement on the Bible. But let me ask you this. Are we as a church today, as the church, are we a true representative of what Jesus called us to be? As an individual, do you read the word of God through doctrinal or denominational eyes or with an open heart to receive his word? Are you first grounded in the doctrine of your particular denomination or are you first grounded in the word of God? You see, these are questions that we should seriously ask ourselves and think about why we believe what we believe. We should all first be grounded in the word of God. So what is the unsaved population of the world receiving from us, the church today? What is the unsaved population of the world uh, receiving from us as individuals? Are they being exposed to the word of God so that they may be saved and experience eternal life that has been promised to them? Are you personally spreading the word of God, the, the love of God to others so that they may be saved? See, interestingly, as, as I'm working on this uh, podcast and, and blog, and my wife and I are visiting uh, Branson, Missouri, and we uh, are staying in a well-known hotel and convention center. And unbeknownst to us, when we booked the stay, there are two major uh, nationally known church denominations having their annual conventions. And one major nationally known church denomination uh, is having a pastor's uh, convention. And it's all going on while we are here staying in the same hotel. Now, we brought our new puppy with us. And I have to take him out regularly to the designated doggy area. I also take him for walks along the Lake Tanicomo Boardwalk, formerly known as the White River. And I constantly pass groups of convention goers and talk to some in the lobby at elevators uh, along the way on my walks. And interestingly, so far, I've not had one person talk to me about Jesus. I, I've commented on t-shirts and ask some if, if they were here for the convention, but not one person has witnessed to me or asked me if I'm a Christian or if I know Jesus. One gentleman did invite me to come hear the guest speaker uh, at their convention. Uh, another interesting thing is that some people will not even make eye contact or, or speak back uh, when I say hello or good morning. Now, I can't just assume that all of these individuals are Christians or are part of, of the convention group. However, many do have on convention name tags. And I'm not saying this to beat up on these people uh, or their church denominations. You see, I personally am in contact with many people throughout the day, and I'm just as guilty of not spreading uh, the good news of Jesus Christ. 
How about you? Yet, that is exactly what we, as the church, are called to do. That is our great commission, is to spread the word, the good news, to spread the gospel. So, how can this be true? If we are the church and we are following the calling of Jesus, as I said, I'm, I'm guilty also. I'm not beating up on people. But I'm asking these questions. These are things we need to think about. Where's our focus when, when we walk each day in our daily lives? Uh, and where should our focus be? And you see, I believe that we are often so caught up in ourselves um, in, in what we have to do or what we want to do that we lose sight of what we've been called to do. And there's there's other factors also, such as some people are just shy, some people are unconfident, and perhaps for some, they, they might even feel embarrassed or they may fear uh, of speaking the name of Jesus to others in public or for fear of scorn or ridicule and, and uh, being attacked maybe. I, th- this world is getting bad. All of these wonderful people uh, attending the church denominational uh, annual conventions, they're, they're no doubt Jesus-loving Christians. See, yet for many, uh, it's, it's their focus is on – they're running out between sessions. Got, they've got to grab lunch. They're going to call a loved one. They, they may be doing some quick shopping along the Branson Landing area. You know, the list goes on. They love Jesus. They're at their convention to learn more about God, to worship God, and to conduct the church business, convention business. They they go to the, they have praise and worship music. They have guest speakers, preachers. They, um, I'm not criticizing. I mean, please don't don't take it as I'm just beating up and criticizing. I'm trying to make the point. Uh, and and as I said, I'm just as guilty. Um, I'm trying to point out that even though all of these other things are important. We have first been called to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. You know, many of us, keeping in mind we are the church, are we, we fail to proclaim the gospel to the multitude of strangers that we meet and converse with throughout our day. And honestly, um, we often don't even notice people. We're passing on the sidewalk because we're consumed with our own thoughts and issues, or we have our heads looking down at our phones. How many How many do you see that? You, they, people barely know where they're walking. I'm guilty. Mark, chapter 16, verse 14 through 20, English Standard Version. Afterward, he appeared to the 11 uh, themselves as they were reclining at the table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he spoke to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. We tend to get so caught up in all the other things going on in our lives, we just don't even think to be a witness for Jesus. We don't take time to proclaim the gospel to all those we come in contact with. See, our priorities are not in proper order. 
what, what is the gospel that we are to proclaim? Well, the Greek word that was translated to the English word gospel is eugelion. Now, I probably just tore that pronunciation all up, but eugelion, all right, E-U-A-G-G-E-L-I-O-N. Well, in Greek, this word means good news, and this form of the word was not often used in daily life. Uh, at least that's what my studies are showing, and it's most it's mostly found in biblical text. It it places much emphasis on good news, and I, I heard one uh, Bible teacher say it means the almost too good to be true news. So that's the the emphasis they they put on this, uh, the word gospel. Now the word gospel defined by Merriam-Webster. It says often, it's often capitalized, the message concerning Christ, the kingdom of God, and salvation. So we have been called to proclaim the good news, the almost too good to be true news of Jesus Christ to the world. Yet we so often fail in this most important calling. Why is this? Is it possible that many of us have become more focused uh, on religion than on the Word of God? Or is it possible that we're just so tuned into ourselves that we aren't placing a focus on either? Now, I'm not saying that we're called to uh, to grab every person we pass on the sidewalk by the arm and, and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to them. Uh, one, we'd never get to where we're going, and if we go around grabbing people out of the arm, we might get smacked upside the head. So uh, we have to use prudence and, uh, and good common sense as we do this. Uh, yet, oftentimes, just a smile or a nod or a simple greeting or acknowledging that someone has spoken to you or that you are passing another human being, a creation of God Almighty, it may mean way more to the person that you're passing than you even know. I mean, simply showing some love and kindness to another person, reaching down and picking up something they dropped. You can pick it up. God bless you and hand it back to them. A stranger passing us on the street, you, you, don't, you don't know what's happening in their lives. You don't know how down they are. You don't know what's going on. That, Like I say, just... Just the simple smile and a nod to them, a good day, how are you, God bless you. That's ministering the love of God. And, and see, you throw that seed and plant that seed, and that brings the Holy Spirit into action. Because, see, the Holy Spirit, it's not your job to convict them of Jesus. or Your, your job is to, to teach or to show or speak the gospel, to show the love of God and and when you show the love of God, you are, in essence, ministering and planting a seed that the Holy Spirit can then convict a heart. So the evangelist uh, Billy Graham, you might have heard of him, he said, uh, he said, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It's God's job to judge and my job to love. Now, see, we're not called to convict the person. We're not called to make them accept Christ. 
that's that's the job of the Holy Spirit to and he's not going to make them he's going to convict them see we're called to spread the good news of Jesus Christ we're called to love one another as Jesus loved us to love our neighbor as ourselves and when we do this the Holy Spirit will convict the hearts to bring them to salvation to at least they can never say that they had not known or they did not not have the Holy Spirit speak to their heart on judgment day. He will convict their hearts and then they make that choice. They either accept Christ or they don't. John chapter 16, verse seven through eight, the Amplified Bible, it says, but I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away for if I do not go away, the helper, the comforter, the advocate, the intercessor, the counselor, the strengthener, standby will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him, the Holy Spirit, to you to be in close fellowship with you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world about the guilt of sin and the need for a Savior and about righteousness and about judgment. So where is our focus, both as the church and as individuals who make up the church? Is it on religion or is it on the Word of God? Are we more focused on the role of going to church on Sunday to sing in the choir, to play an instrument, to run the soundboard and handling of other church business? Or is our first focus on the word of God in praising and worshiping God in learning and spreading the gospel? Don't get, don't, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, you know, we're church is bad. Church is wrong. Church is a part of the word of God as, and is an important part but do we get so involved in religion, in religious traditions, and being good Christians that we lose sight of our primary calling of the Word of God? I spent, I spent many years working hard in my church. I was the audio-visual leader at one time, and I served on the praise and worship team. At the same time, I would get to church at least an hour before service uh, to make sure that the audio-visual equipment was working properly. I'd get the stage mics and stands and electronic equipment in place and working properly. I would set up the computers and cameras and make sure all the recording equipment was working properly. Then I would run the soundboard. I'd run cameras. or I, I would play guitar on the praise and worship team during service. I would usually be one of the last people leaving the church every Sunday or every service because sometimes during the week. And I'd put all the equipment away after church and would edit the audio and, and the videos and, and make CDs and DVDs of each service. See, I, I was serving God and working hard for him um, and the church. But the word of God was not my first focus. I was so busy during the services serving. I, I rarely participated in personal worship or, or being fed by the word, at, at least at the level that I should have been. I mean, I was so busy with, with my family, my job, serving at the church, that my personal re relationship with God and the word of God was not my primary focus. I, I was not growing in the word of God. Does this sound familiar to you? See, this, this is a trap that many Christians get, get caught up in. I mean, why? Well, one reason is that there's, there's few who will volunteer their time at church, and this leaves a few to do much of the work that should be shared by the many. The few are then overwhelmed by the workload or providing a good church experience for the many and the unsaved that um, may be coming to visit that their, their personal relationship with God uh, begins to suffer. 
the focus becomes more towards making sure everything's working properly and in its proper place and order than worshiping and serving God. Um, this is not true for all church volunteers and, and in all churches. However, it is for many. And religion and tradition often teach us that in order to be good Christians and to properly serve God, we have to be in church when the doors are open, and we must be actively working and volunteering constantly and always in the church. To an extent, there's truth to this, but this is not our first calling. It's not. And clearly, the church is established in the Word of God and plays a very important role. However, see, I ask, is the modern-day church in line with the church God established in his word. See, in some cases, the answer is yes, but in, in many cases, the answer is no. So often, we find in our modern-day church, the focus is more on the building, not the assembly. For many, going to church comes from a sense of duty and obligation, not from a sense of excitement and enthusiasm to worship and, and, and praise God. Um, some, some refer to the condition of the modern church as the 80-20 syndrome, the 20% take on the responsibility of all the work while the remaining 80% are mere spectators. Others refer to the modern church as being more like uh, attending a sports event, large crowds sit in stands and observe small numbers of athletes performing. That's, that's kind of sad. The word church comes from the Greek word ekklesia, E-K-K-L-E-S. IA. Now, we discussed this back in episode uh, number 18, and I think even before, but I, I want to recap the importance of the word ecclesia and what it meant when Jesus was teaching on the earth. See, the Greek word ecclesia, sometimes spelled E C C L E S I A, it means called out or called out ones. Ecclesia was used generally to imply a called assembly of people, which could be for social, governmental, or religious reasons. Now, the word Ecclesia's roots go back to at least 350 B.C. to the city of Athens. And uh, not Georgia. <laughs> anyway, the original Ecclesia consisted of citizens of Athens. Now, the Ecclesia elected and dismissed leaders of the city. It set and directed the policies of the city. It declared war and or made peace agreements. It negotiated treaties. It picked military leaders and dispatched them as necessary. It raised money as necessary. The Ecclesia was an assembly of citizens whom all members had equal power and who set and policed the policies. The original Ecclesia in Athens had almost unlimited power. Now, the Romans adopted the use of the Ecclesia during the Roman Empire, and the Ecclesia would set around the Roman emperor or king to hear and record his proclamations. The Ecclesia would then ensure that these proclamations were spread, implemented, and adhered to throughout the kingdom. And so when Jesus was on the earth, everyone he and the apostles were ministering to would have been very familiar with the Ecclesia and, and what, what it meant, what it did, how it served. So when Jesus and the apostles referred to the Ecclesia, it had a much deeper meaning than many of us have pictured in our minds when we read and hear the word church. So what comes to your mind when you think of the word church? You know, some, may, some picture a building, some picture people in the building with a pastor, a priest or a preacher, or maybe a steeple 
many Christians uh, will picture a building and or a group of people going into a building to sing praise and worship songs and to listen to a minister preach a sermon uh, before heading home or to a restaurant for lunch. Some picture the church as a body of believers who are coming together to fellowship, to hear the word of God read, preached, and taught, uh, to minister to each other and to others who don't yet know Jesus. Now, this picture is more of what we need to see when we think of the church. Many are not picturing an assembly of God's called out people who are hearing the word of God read, preached, and taught, who are ensuring the word is implemented and adhered to in their lives, and then spreading the word of God and ministering to others. God has called us to be his assembly, his congregation, his ecclesia, his church, the body of Christ Jesus, who is the head. We, the ecclesia, the church, the body of Christ, are God's called out ones. We are to hear the preached word of God. We are to read and study his word on a regular basis. The word of God is alive. It is now. It's ever present. It's always present and relevant. Our place in God is, as Christians, as the body of Jesus, as the church, as the ecclesia, is to hear the word of God, our Father, to learn the word of God, and to ensure the word of God and the good news of Jesus Christ is preached and taught throughout the world. We are to ensure we adhere to God's word and that we, we help other Christians to also adhere to the word. The church is not a group of Christians coming together because we want to come together and be entertained or, or uh, conform to religious traditions um, or, or other religious expectations. The church is a group of Christians coming together because we are God's called out ones, his assembly called together by God for the purpose of hearing his voice through his word and acting as we are called by him. See, our place in God is to be his called out ones, the body of Jesus on this earth. It doesn't matter the size of the church building. It doesn't matter how beautiful the building is or how big the screens are or if it has tons of lights and cameras uh, or, or if we're meeting in a small living room in a, in a believer's home or under a tent in a muddy field. What matters is that we are assembled to hear the Word of God, to learn the Word of God, and to ensure the Word of God and the good news of Jesus Christ is preached and taught throughout the world that, that, that we're spreading the gospel. We are assembled to ensure we adhere to God's word and that we help other Christians to also adhere to the word and to meet each other's needs. And once we hear that word and, and, and we have that word preached to us, then we need to go home and we need to read that word and we need to come before God and the Holy Spirit. We need to make sure that what we just heard and what we were just taught is in accordance with what his word says. And that is all for this episode. Uh, I hope you'll join me in episode 39 as we continue to discuss the topic of religion or word of God. Now we're going to pick up right here where we left off of uh, have a lot of things to talk about and uh, i want to thank you for listening may god bless you and keep you today and every day as we grow in faith and live the faith life 365 days per year